Hi, I'm Milan Altman. And I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. Yeah. We walked on the beach beside that old hotel. They're tearing it down now, but it's just as well. I haven't shown you everything a man can do. So stay with me, baby. I got plans for you. This is the time to remember, cause it will not last forever. Welcome to Billy Joel A to Z, the show that answers the question to which is the time? This is Billy Joel A to Z. This is the time to end the the songs and get back into actual tea starting songs. And this is the time is the song we are going to discuss the hell out of today. This is the time is the second track off of Billy Joel's 10th studio album and final song for the Billy Joel A to Z podcast off of The Bridge. This is the time was released as the third single off of that album on November 15th, 1986. And on January 31st, 1987, it peaked at number 18 on the Billboard charts, just mildly edging out Walk Like an Egyptian by the Bangles, as that was on its way down. I believe that actually ended up going to number one at some point. Very popular song. Mm. This is the time does not appear on 2000 Years, the Millennial Concert, or does it? See, if you bought it, that album in Europe or Japan, it's included as a bonus track. But it was proven to be performed at the concert that New Year's Eve in 1999 at Madison Square Garden, but was not included on the CD. It most definitely does appear on Live at Shea Stadium as John Mayer is uh, seen playing the Dave Brown guitar parts. I believe that song was even used for the trailer music to promote the album, but that's just memory serves i'm not positive and finally it also appears on greatest hits volume three because it actually was a hit this song is extremely popular with 80 schmaltz so it appears in television shows the goldbergs makes sense the carrie diaries you know what that is oh yeah it's like about uh was it halloween no 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 that's the that that makes sense i see where you're going no no that's that the prequel to Sex in the City when Carrie Bradshaw was just a child. Oh, I really thought that was a spinoff of Halloween. No, no, it's like young Sheldon, but young Carrie. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Takes He's just place banging kids at the age of 13 and writing yeah, about it. Yeah, exactly. And it even was performed at Larry Bird's retirement ceremony at the Boston Garden in 1993 because it reflects the 80s. 
We talk about songs like this all the time that are 80s-like songs. This doesn't sound like an 80s song, but we'll get to that in a second. Let's get to the rankings because I love when it's like this. We have a big, diverse number between the two, and I, I it's very exciting when it gets like this. One has it extremely high, and one has it where it probably belongs and where the fans rank it. So, Alon, let's tackle... Uh, well, who do you think goes high and who do you think goes low? Oh, man. I kind of think Bananos would go high because he liked things like an innocent man. And I don't know, maybe he's into these Billy Joel ballads. So a question. OK, so I'm going to say it's Bananos. So I'm going to guess my Bananos ranking. And gosh, I don't know how high he would go here. Let's say 22. Oh, that's you got it. It's exactly right. It was 22. <laughs> it's 20. I, I, didn't I get it. consider <laughs> that. Don't act like I'm getting the, the, the Dude, showcase showdown. You get a 20, exactly that's out of 121. You guessed within two. I say <laughs> you got it right. That's amazing. Yes, he put it at 20, 20. And he says another 80s prom anthem makes perfect mm-hmm. sense, just like we were talking about. And he says this. I think you have to be a real churl to hate it. A churl. <laughs> this guy in his thesaurus. So Glenn Gamboa ranks it at 73 that's a vast difference he says it's probably not a coincidence that this sounds like a number of songs heard on adult contemporary stations in 1986 and the fans rank it at 63 where it probably belongs between you and me alon altman your thoughts yeah, I- that, that's what I think. Also, I think it's look, it was a hit and it's a nice song, but I can never put this in the top half of Billy Joel songs. And Glenn Gambo is right. I just all I think about with this song is adult contemporary radio. And one of the charts you didn't mention was that this song was number one on the adult contemporary chart. And I remember just growing up when you'd he- see commercials for Light FM, which is like the big adult contemporary station here in New York. They'd play little clips of a few songs, and it was always this. This was always one of those songs, because this is, when you think of adult contemporary, soft, light music, this is the song you think of. All right. I never thought of it. You're absolutely right. I, I, I never mentioned, you know, Billy Joel, when we say his uh, songs don't go to the top, many times they go to the adult, adult contemporary top. I just don't talk about that, because that doesn't make any difference to any. It's always was about the hot 100. So I usually don't reference those. But yeah, this one totally went to number one in the adult contemporary. You're completely right. It's a very strange song. It it it, it feels like it belongs nowhere and yet completely has an 80s feel. You'd never think about it when you think about Billy Joel. It's something that's never replayed. Meanwhile, Alon, I think you know, it just occurred to me when we were doing this, He played this when Gary Goldman and I went to go see him in concert only as we're recording this uh, three weeks ago. And I sent you the picture. You were in Italy. They bought in. They flew in, as I like to say it, (laughs) wherever he lives, Dave Brown. and, And that's clearly why they did the song. I guess he was around or whatever the case may be. They bought in Dave Brown to completely do the guitar riffs. And that is why I guess I I, can I consider this a treat? Uh, I guess it is. Anytime he doesn't play something often, and I guess you'll tell us in a second, uh, then it is a treat. You know, they bought in Dave Brown. I would have preferred John Mayer myself, but he is the the originator of the guitar, the very complicated guitar parts to this song. I don't even know how you write a song like this. 
And uh, I don't. Could you tell me before we continue what happened to Dave Brown? Was there a falling out of some sort? He wanted to pursue his first love, football. <laughs> well, you know, you and I love that. Uh, <laughs> he was a quarterback for the Giants, but uh, no. Do you understand why he isn't with the band now, or wasn't with the band, or why? No, I don't know. Not- it's not as publicized, as far as I can tell, as things like the Russell Javers situation, or Doug Stegmeyer, or definitely Liberty DeVito. Liberty, right. So I don't really know. Like Dave Brown, it's kind of weird because he was a big, big part of Billy Joel's band, but he yeah. gets talked about less than other people even though he made these really great guitar parts in this song and in so many other songs, too. He was in the band for a long time, and then he just disappeared. I don't know where he went, but he uh, used to live in Boston. Boston, uh, okay, Boston, Boston. Then I got the lobster. Anyway, he's a great musician. Oh, by the way, we have a film on it called Live at Yankee Stadium. Now, I'm not trying to plug the film for you. I want him to know, you're all over the film, David. You're all over the place. Anyway, if you get a chance, check it out. You're featured. Uh, anyway, on the guitar, I want to bring on Mr. David Brown. He plays the shit out of this song. tell you something i mean this is obviously a very difficult guitar part i mean we know nothing about this kind of stuff but it's a very difficult guitar part i know it's so jazzy i guess when i think about it it reminds me of like a chick korea or somebody like that you know it's very jazzy but it doesn't feel like a jazz thing even though when you think about it i guess it does but it's such a complicated part I mean, who he, who does he get if he can't get Dave Brown? He gets John Mayer. John Mayer is a guitar genius. You know, you can make fun of John Mayer for his music and his songs, but we know, I mean, if anybody, and I, I've met him, I've hung out with him several times. You know, I used to tell my mom I was hanging out with this guitar legend. I mean, we knew, I, I mean, we, he'd already had songs out and it was famous already, but I was explaining to my mother, like, I'm like, no, you don't understand. This guy's like the second coming of, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix in many ways. People just don't know. Now, the, the people remember, I mean, this is a guy that went into the Grateful Dead world and took over, you know, it, it went and toured with the Grateful Dead and everybody was furious. They're like, what? The guy who writes on my body's a wonderland is going to be in this. And, and he just won everyone over with his unbelievable guitar work. He is a, a very underrated and yet totally rated uh, masterful guitar player. He just doesn't come off that way because his music doesn't reflect that. Yeah, it was a big change for him and really good for him to save his reputation because I always knew him from like your body is a wonderland. And then there was right. some point in like the mid early 2000s when you'd see him popping up on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concerts and things like that, where he'd be playing with these great people and playing really, really well. And good good for him to show his chops and to be able to get that respect and get out of that whole, I don't know, yeah, he, like he, teen idol sort of phase that he had. 
he has an unbelievable reputation as a guitar player amongst musicians. But now I think other people are getting, you know, he's at the comedy cellar a lot, right? Have you ever seen yeah, him? Yeah, there? I haven't run into him yeah. there, but I see pictures of him there. He goes, it's, it's so funny. You know, he's such a handsome fella and, you know, he's a guitar player and he's just super cool. Right. And he's also, what is, what is he dating? Dating. Did he, I don't know, was it Taylor Swift or Katy Perry? He dates a lot of hot girls, you know, especially back in the day. You don't hear about it that much anymore. But during the time he was coming to the cellar, every comic wants to be friends with him, you know, because this is their their dream. And he goes on stage and he does comedy. You know, he just goes on and does comedy. So I said to David Tell, possibly the greatest comic of our time. And I say, well, how is he? And he goes, he's good. Wow. And for David Tell to say that, it's just like, I think I think they all say he's good because he's just so cool. They they don't want to say he sucks and they don't want to make fun of him because he's just the the manliest of men, <laughs> you know, to, yeah. for comics. That's their hero where he feels like David Tell is his hero or something. You know, it's just uh, it's just kind of funny. That's when I knew something was off uh, when David. Tell, no, he's good. Come on. Tell me the truth. David Tell just wants to be able to do a duet where John's on guitar and he's on the recorder. Well, I believe that's actually happened. Uh, oh, okay. But, <laughs> See, I had no idea that I know that John Mayer hangs out at the cellar. I didn't know that he was getting up and doing sets. I thought he would just go up with like Dave Chappelle and maybe Noodle on the guitar, just talk. I didn't know he was doing his own stand-up. He did that too. He did like I think he did it twice, and then he mostly goes up with Jeff and Dave and stuff like that. We've had dinner together before too, and um you know he's an interesting fella but uh i mean he's out there man he's out there would he order clams because we can get him and maybe him and billy can can get together again (laughs) but i guess he is the guy you call when you don't have you know when you're at chase stadium and you need somebody to play these extremely complicated guitar parts meanwhile it's funny because i never thought about the guitar i was always thinking about the first notes which I guess is an old 80s keyboard, right? Sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, it's got yeah. a very twinkly keyboard sound. Kind of funny, actually, on the album coming after run- Running on Ice. Keyboards really, really fast. And then goes to this second song, really slow, but still keyboards. Very strange selection. Obviously, we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, but I will say one thing. With that decision to go from that to that, which we'll talk about, like you said, it's not the first time Billy Joel's done that. Other uh, albums like 52nd Street, he goes from uh, Big Shot to Honesty. So there's like an opening number that's really fast and explosive and then a slow ballad. And then an, an Innocent Man, he goes from Easy Money to An Innocent Man. Uh, I'm going to ask you how many times he's played this live because I have, uh, obviously I saw it a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. uh, this being uh in November of 2022 and recording this. And I saw it in October of 2022. And then I have a note here saying, you know, he, he brings the song out for special occasions and he did it with John Mayer at MSG Madison square garden in October of 2015. Maybe he only plays it every October and maybe he does play it every October. Now that I think about it, cause uh, maybe it has to do with uh, sports stuff or something, but uh, what, 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 what are the statistics on this? If you don't mind rushing into it. Yeah. So this is the 50th, most played song he's played it 69 times uh obviously you just saw it in october but he's only played it seven times since 2015 and then in terms of like when he would play it obviously he played it a lot on the bridge tour but he did not play it on stormfront and he did not play it on the river of dreams tour which makes of, of course so much sense so you're saying but when after he retired it after he retired 
after the River of Dreams tour, how many times has he played it? Have you, did you say? No, I, I didn't calculate from River of Dreams on, but it looked like he played it pretty frequently in like his late 90s tour. He skipped it in, for the most part in 2006, which is another big tour year. He played it only once. But otherwise, from like 2009 to 2015, it was pretty frequent. And now it's becoming less frequent. Well, it sounds like he only brings it out when somebody's in town that can handle the guitar parts, which I don't know whether that's insulting to the guitarist he has now or whether he just doesn't care. Um, yeah, I don't be. know whether this worked for a Billy Joel concert live because, you know, it's, a, it's it makes sense for John Mayer. You know, I've never liked the dead because they just sit there and jam for an hour and I am uninterested. And the reason I like Billy Joel is because it's lyrics and music nonstop and no instrumental shit you know, except for like one saxophone section sometimes. Right. Yeah. So this song sucks in that sense of, uh, you know, you're sitting there in, in a thing. You're like, the, the Grateful Dead should play this song because it's just the guitar goes on for hours with no lyrics or anything. It's still a good song. It's just I don't think it's meant for. I don't know. I mean, it wasn't horrible at Madison Square Garden. It just I mean, it does have that anthemic feel because it goes. It's really cool. It just goes bump bump this is the time you know like so it yeah it has that it's you know bump bump then a pause and then they hit it so it does work on that level yeah it's one of those songs just like an innocent man or good night saigon where it's really long and you're waiting for the big anthemic moments which it does have it builds to a big moment and that's exciting and the crowd will sing along to that chorus and then in between there's a lot of time where you're like man this is a five minute song this is a lot right now I was actually I was watching the video on YouTube, some fan took a video of the show you went to when this song played because I wanted to see like what you experienced there. And uh, it was kind of funny because the, the song starts and then these people in front of the person filming actually stand up. And I was like, oh, man, like they're into this thing. Like it's like standing. It's a standing up song. And then I realized they got up because some guy was coming back from the bathroom. Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, come on. I, I was going to say that's got to be the answer. Right, right. Yeah. So it was like a bathroom situation, which was actually I looked at the set list and that was a bad time for that guy to have left because that means he left the song before this was moving out. So this guy really had to go. He, he left for moving out and comes back for this is the time. That's right. Yeah, I forgot. Right. That was my favorite part. Mr. Cacciatore down on Sullivan Street. So wouldn't want to miss that. But and it's funny when they, you know, he brings back Dave Brown and nobody cares. And uh, they're like, hey, we're going to bring Dave Brown. I'm like, Woo! But nobody knows who they're cheering for. I mean, we know all, I would never have known if we didn't do this podcast. Did he say I'm going to bring back my guitar player for 15 years or did yeah. he just say Dave Brown? No, no, no. He said he said, I'm going to bring back my boy. He gave me, why didn't Dave Brown technically invented the riff, right? Yeah. Yeah, as far as we know, he's the one who came up with this. I mean, we've heard the demo version. I assume it's Dave playing on the demo as well. It sounds pretty similar to the final the version. The demo version is uh, it's like the finished version. It's like Yeah, weird. it's kind of, it's probably just like an alternate take basically. It's not like an early version with different lyrics or anything. But that's the thing. I mean, we know Billy Joel is a unbelievable musician, but he doesn't play riffs like this. I mean, like I said at the concert that I saw, you know, he's playing the guitar four different times and I'm sure he plays the guitar, but he doesn't play like this. Even he doesn't play like this. So that guy had to invent these riffs. Yeah. What this song is like is like leave a tender moment alone with toots, because right. what it is, is like Billy's like, here's the song. And then you kind of just riff on what I say in between and fill it in with a really cool, like thoughtful, jazzy solo. And that's what's uh, happening here. 
Right. Kind of like uh, what, what's what's this just the way you are, right? With the, the sax, like didn't it was more the producer telling him what to do, not Billy so much. Yes. Or it was similar. Yeah. A ballad with an instrumental break where, yeah, the, it's kind of like just go wherever you want with it. Just come back to where it has to be. Yeah. So so technically, Dave Brown would be credited with writing it in many ways, except Billy would not stand for that. No, well, why should he? But uh, yeah, so he so he came back to play it, and I don't know. So the song is uh, Billy has been said that it is supposed to, it was developed as a winter song, extremely appropriate for us to talk about this after we just did the Winter's Crossing. So uh, this was supposed to be a winter song, and it is supposed to reflect. Oh my God! Can you imagine the ocean? In the winter, the, yeah. like in the winter time, and yeah. I've heard a live version where they have sound effects of waves crashing into the beach. Did you notice that too? In a in a live version, I heard. I didn't notice that, but I've heard Billy talk about like the sound of seagulls and things like that. Yeah, he wants a, a very lonely, desolate beach in the winter time feel. That's what he was writing about. Uh, of course, he did. How could we not have uh, figured that out? that David sooner or later was going to write about a wintertime beach again, why you would write such a depressing song when you're in the throes of being in a very happy relationship. It, it's, it's one of those songs. Where, in fact, I think I have the exact uh, wording here. Billboard magazine called it a melancholy rock ballad from a doom filled perspective. Yeah. Cause it's basically saying like, these are our best times. Let's remember these. Cause it's going to get worse. Yeah, well, that's not a fun message, which is probably why we don't really like the bridge that much, because it is not a fun album in any way. And again, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know. You write a song like Modern Woman seems like, you know, again, that's just the first song released. And you're like, oh, this is going to be great. And then, you know, then it's this and the baby grand and uh, getting closer. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. I just, <laughs> like this. Where's the fun? Yeah, so the fun was an innocent man when he was just dating the supermodels, and now he's married to one and has a kid, and it's a whole different mature uh, Billy Joel. Yeah, and, but here's the other thing. Um, I also read something that this wasn't written for Christy Brink. It was written early, and it was again written about or for L. McPherson. Yeah, right. This, that shows up in the biography uh, that came out a few years ago, but you can't really find any other sources that, that say that that's who he wrote it for. I can see it, though, but I think some of it had to have been influenced still by Christy Brinkley. Some of these lines just don't really make a lot of sense when talking about L. McPherson. No, nothing. It doesn't. Clearly, we got to get L. McPherson on this show. I mean, I, clearly, she was the real influence. Uh, the uh, <laughs> on, yeah. I mean, that's so weird to I mean, why would you even say that? I mean, he must have said it after he was married. Well, it's not actually about Christy. It's about L. McPherson. I'm like, why would you even say that and say it after you're divorced? But he's saying it while he's yeah. married. No, but he's he's saying that after he's divorced. It's okay. Oh, he he's, was saying it after. Are you sure? I think Are all this sure? L. McPherson stuff really came to light just in the last few years, kind of like oh. apparently, you know that 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 she was up at the apartment one day when he came home with Christy Brinkley, and that she was basically like living with him for a while, and he was dating them both. All these I like didn't hear about that. She she brought that up in a recent interview, actually. Oh, well, herself see, that, that she kind of was that, like, "That's uh, what I'm talking about." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's kind of funny that Billy will have a line like, um, what is she doing here? Yeah. <laughs> Should we all make out? OK. Wow. <laughs> when he says, like, we lived through a lifetime and the aftermath, like his relationship with El McPherson was just oh, what was it, maybe a few months or something at best. Like, that doesn't seem like enough time to be like, boy, we've been through a lot. 
Yeah, exactly. It's it's very strange. Um, here I have his actual quotes. Um, one of the most difficult things to maintain is a relationship, and that's really what this song is about. Let's remember this good time because we're going to remember this when times get tough. It didn't mean I thought we should stay in that moment because I said it will not last forever. This is a 1997 interview. Mm. He's a strange man. He's very yeah. deep. Yeah, should is. we uh, look at some of the lyrics? Sure. I mean, it's a very sad song, but again, uh, even I mean, that's it's a little depressing, but I do like the I like the musical instruments in it. You know, I like the keyboard, obviously, and stuff, but it is a very sad song. We walked on the beach beside that old hotel. They're tearing it down now, but it's just as well. That kind of line sounds like famous last words also, right? Like this idea, like end of the season in a beach town. There's that old creepy hotel. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it does. I haven't. You're absolutely right. I haven't shown you everything a man can do. So stay with me, baby. I got plans for you that those lyrics don't sound like they should be in this song. It, <laughs> it sounds, sounds like, like a Hollywood a, agent. Well, it sounds like a much more fun. Those lyrics are much more fun than this song. Stay with me, baby. I got plans for you. <laughs> this is the time to remember because it will not last forever. These are the days to hold on to because we won't, although we'll want to. This is the time, but time is going to change. You've given me the best of you, and now I need the rest of you. Those are classic, awesome Billy Joel lyrics. I mean, at least the last two lines. This, this is why this song is used for weddings and proms and all that kind of stuff because of this chorus, which really gets drives the, the point home. More so than the, the line from the previous verse, like you said, which doesn't really sort of fit with what the rest of the song is about. Yeah, but it shouldn't be used for weddings because it's a doomed song. He's made it very clear. I mean, proms make perfect sense. Graduations. A, a wedding, you'd have to be an idiot to use this song because then you're not clearly grasping the lyrics. Yeah, but that always happens. There's always songs where you don't actually listen to the lyrics. It's like um, the song that's kind of replaced this for all these events is time of your life good riddance by green day right and that also is a song about a breakup it's like a it's a angry kind of song but because yeah. of how it sounds yeah people use it for these like big life moments without even realizing that it's not a happy song yeah it's funny isn't it i mean this is the whole podcast we you know we talk about it for me personally i you know i i didn't know i didn't delve into some of these songs i'm like oh this is such a fun song you know like allentown <laughs> you know and then you break it down you're like this is a little depressing yeah <laughs> But I was like singing to it and clapping my hands and yelling it out the window. And yeah, people just don't they don't want to know. They don't care because that's that's the amazing thing. You get the melody. And then if you really get into a song, then you get in the lyrics and then you find another layer. And those are your best songs. The, my uh, first marriage, uh, my wedding song was Kung Fu Fighting. <laughs> Thank you. And she uh, was Asian. So the whole thing, the first time the family hated you. That yeah, one. it was they annulled bad. the wedding. And that's why things no one's heard of it. Things didn't last long. Here's the rest of the lyrics. Did you know that before you came into my life, some kind of miracle that I survived? Someday we'll both look back and have to laugh. We've lived through a lifetime and the aftermath. Bum, bum. <laughs> yeah. Well, that line is, I mean, clearly he's talking about, look, I had, I was married to this woman named Elizabeth Weber. I don't know if you know about her and it was not pretty. So it's really amazing <laughs> that I'm here now dating you, supermodel lady. Yeah. Sometimes it's so easy to let a day slip on by without even seeing each other at all. But this is the time you'll turn back to, and so will I, and those will be the days you can never recall. And so we embrace again behind the dunes 
This beach is so cold on winter afternoons. Ah, but holding you close is like holding the summer sun. I'm warm from the memory of the days to come. Well, this verse clearly now we're, we know he's talking about the winter. Everything else before this, besides like the old hotel thing, you don't know that this is a winter beach song. This line is obviously about a wintry beach. And uh, I do like that last line, warm from the memories of days to come, which is kind of an interesting take on that, like memory of future things that haven't happened yet. Yeah. And also, you know, it's a very mature song. And it's just I think we have spoken about this before, how the Nylon Curtain was kind of a maturing album. Then he goes back to just having fun and a, a youthful album. And then, you know, you get this crap and it's all like, uh, oh, now I'm maturing again. And I'm like, just just bring us back the old Billy because we prefer that. And yeah. then it's um, then the rest is all just not cool. <laughs> Yeah, this was it. I mean, this is just one of the many examples from this album that just shows like he was not a cool young artist anymore. He was aging with his fans and he was OK with that, I guess. But I mean, aging, you're only 30. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, relax. Jesus, you know? his life was over. Apparently, he considered uh, the second marriage. just It's over now. This is it. Now I got a kid. It's oh, I am done. I am ju- I am just old and it is over. It's really weird that he's considered himself an old man for the long, you know, for such a long time since the 80s. I mean, if if we're only, uh, I don't know, about 15 years apart, you know, like, I mean, it's just uh, I don't remember calling thinking of myself as old in the 90s. Right. I mean, it's just kind of weird to be a rock and roller and just uh, but I guess maybe that's how it happens in rock and roll. You think differently, too. 33 is not you're an old man in rock and roll like in like in sports yeah there were no good examples at this point of like these old rock stars who are still doing it in their 50s like by then even when he was writing this like the rolling stones were still just in their 40s right right and, and as far as he knew they've been around forever so that's well, like the funny. oldest possible i i think about this all the time this album comes out in 86 the stones start me up i'll never forget came out in like 81 right and I remember being in college and being like, wait, wait, that that song just came out last year. You know, like I'm like, wait, this this didn't come out in the 70s. Start me up. It's like the the, it it was so popular and, and their signature song. And I'm like, this just came off this new album. Tattoo you, I think I, I, I remember being so shocked just five years before this. And the Stones were technically wrote their, uh, not their signature song, but certainly a signature Rolling Stones song. They still had one left, I guess. Yeah, but what they had there was like a song that harkened back to their prime time. It wasn't like, here's them doing some old ballad in 1981. They did a song that could have been from 1967 or 1977. Yeah, no, the, you're saying that the song sounds like one of their old songs, right? Yeah, so they did the right yeah, thing. It's kind of yeah. like if Billy Joel had put together a song that sat, you would have thought came off of um, The Stranger right now in 1986, you would have said, wow, Billy still got it. But yeah, exactly. Doing different the, stuff. That's what I'm saying about that song. The riff, the the legendary riff, right there with all of uh, Keith Richards' really amazing legendary riffs we now know to be epic. I mean, then there it is. They, he, just, he came up with one. Yeah, you're right. And Billy Joel, wouldn't that be a cool if he wrote a song today that just sounded like one of his old catalog songs. Yeah. Because the Stones else. have never wanted to age. They won't, they, they're still trying to like be young and cool. And Billy was allowing him. He was allowing himself to age with his music. 
which is kind of funny because he didn't continue, obviously, which is sad by doing this. He could have. I mean, I know he did last forever, technically, but on just his old catalog. But he could have pulled like a Tom Hanks or Steve Martin. We've talked about this before when when those guys decide I'm going to be the older guy now. I'm not going to pretend uh, that, uh, you know, I'm going to age to different kinds of roles. Mm-hmm. You know, Billy could have lasted forever with new music by maturing at the exact right time, which he did. But then he just unfortunately didn't continue. Yeah. And, and that's for our benefit, because this podcast would just go on for 20 years if he had put out albums this whole time. So. Well, you got somewhere you gotta have be. to end. We'd be in the seas right now. You got somewhere you gotta be. Come on. <laughs> this is the best podcast ever. By the way, I want to say welcome back to our listeners who boycotted the last 12 episodes because they didn't want to listen to the thes in the tease. Yes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. <laughs> my, my sister's actually started listening again. She wouldn't listen for a long time. I think she listened to like the first one we did. She might have listened to a matter of trust. She goes, This sucks. I'm like, what do you mean? Why, why does it suck? She goes, you guys don't play the song. And I'm like, what do you, what do you want us to do? I mean, we, you just go listen to the song. What do we got to play it? What do you want us to do? Yeah. play it over while we're talking? And then she finally listened to like the longest time, the the longest time. And uh, she was like, oh, it was really good. I'm like, well, we, I mean, now that you she was like mad that we didn't play the song. But I'm like, what? Yeah, she needs that refresher right in the beginning. But now I mean, we, play, I know, we play more of the song now than we used to. Yeah, we do because we don't give a shit. But I'm just saying, what exactly are you looking for when you're listening to a podcast about a song? Can't just constantly play it. I mean, we could. What would be the purpose? of that? Maybe we should always have it in the background, but it's distracting. That would be crazy. Yeah. I mean, I guess <laughs> if we could just get instrumentals the entire time. But after a while, it'd be like, this song is making me fucking sick. Yeah, <laughs> like, people would hate it. You can't do that. I, I think that too. And it's just what could be easier in this day and age to be like, I'm going to pause the podcast and I'm going to listen to the song. When you hear the song going, then I'm going to go back. I do this to myself. I'm, I'm listening back in the car to make sure we don't uh, say anything racist. Well, not for you so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to listen back in the car and I'm like, you know what? Now I, gotta, I need to listen to the song and then I got to go back. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know what? I think I did that. For, which was Tell them you're in love. What did you obsessed. say in that one? I, no, I'm saying I, I went back. I, I had to stop and listen to the song again. I love that song. I had to go to YouTube while I'm driving because it's not on Spotify. I sing it all the time. <laughs> I don't know. I'm obsessed. Yeah, it is good. It grows that on stupid you. Stupid song. God damn. And I'm mad at myself when I like it. <laughs> I was lost <laughs> with the little Congos. <laughs> <laughs> What is the matter with me? Would you rank that song higher than this song? Yes, I would. All right. That's a that's a preview of the tease Sorry. wrap up part two. God damn, I absolutely would. Son of a bitch. Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Alon, I have not been on my game on trivia. We've just made so many trivia questions. I just I, this is really stupid i i don't think i put enough time into it and i apologize but here it is okay one of the major league baseball teams had a recent documentary that used this song as its background soundtrack can you name the team well i don't know how i just have to guess one out of 32 teams yes but you could narrow it down why would they use this soundtrack why would they use this song you have to think it out. Okay, so 
Is it a team that's talking about this is the time because right now they're about to win a championship? Yes, but it's more the time period. The time period. Oh, the 86 Mets. Yes. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kiddies. Bring your wife. Guaranteed to have the time of your life. That's right. And so if you saw the, uh, I can't stand Jimmy Kimmel, but he unfortunately made this documentary and it was really good, really annoying. Uh, I don't want Jimmy Kimmel, who lives in L.A. and enjoys his L.A. lifestyle, who's pretty much from Vegas, making a documentary about the New York Mets, the 86 Mets, you know. So it was driving me crazy, but it was excellent. It's a 30 for 30 on ESPN. And they use this throughout the entire because it came out in 1986. You can play this over a Manhattan skyline and it totally works. And it did work. And I was surprised I was going to call you uh, when I was watching it. And then I said, you know what? Maybe I'll save it for a trivia question. (laughs) I was about to uh, say it earlier. And then I remembered it was my trivia question. I was going to say, you know, they keep using this for Larry Bird because it took place in the 80s. They seem to use this as an 80s banner or, you know, anthem, I guess, is the, the word we've been using to uh, say this. This is the time. This was the time, especially since that's what the song is kind of about. You know, then when you look at the 86 Mets. There's so there's so many people that have done well. And then there's the I mean, it's a perfect song. You know, Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, those guys fell down a rabbit hole. Who The Lenny Dykstra, they're they're. You know, they get they maybe two of them pick themselves back up, but you know, half of the '86 Mets fell apart. The other ones did well, but you know, I mean, the the '80s. The fun about the '86 Mets was they were a Billy Joel like mess. You know, I mean, they were partying, they were drinking, they were uh, doing coke. I, I mean, that's why they were boozing. They were womanizing. Oh, that is why it is so beautiful that they were such a fun team. They did they personified the '80s. And they won the World Series by being completely hammered. And that's why you're like, why aren't you letting people drink? Steroids are no fun. That's too obvious. If a, if you can win a championship being drunk, more power to you. you know? <laughs> because have you ever tried to swing a bat loaded? I mean, that's a fucking miracle. It's like when you do that thing where you put the bat on your head and twirl around and then try to run to first base. It's exactly like that. And the best is, and if you don't think this is true, Keith Hernandez, when you know he now he announces the Mets games. He's a terrific announcer. Him and uh, uh, the the pitcher Ron Darling. He was you know he was talking about the legendary series that led up to it. Ironically, with the Houston Astros, uh, they seem to be in conversation all the time lately. Uh, they played the Houston Astros to get to the World Series. No, no. Yeah, 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 they were in the, the National NLCS. League. They were in the yeah. National League at the time. So they played to get to the World Series. They had to beat the Houston Astros, and they had a legendary 17-inning game. And he said the problem with that game was the beer was all gone in the in the locker room, you know? <laughs> so they we ran out of beer, which means they were just drinking beer during the game. Yeah, or he's using beer as a code word for Coke. Maybe that, too. Whatever it is, the fact <laughs> All the that beer did, was gone. Because if you think that Coke is going to help you see a pitch or do better, you'd be mistaken. So uh, they, they should just let guys go to town on drugs and alcohol and see. It's so much more entertaining. <laughs> if you can actually put it together. For, remember, you got to stay out there for nine innings. 
You should, you should not let them do it during the game, but if they can keep it up for nine innings and not fall down in the outfield after that, I mean, that would be much more fun way to watch a game. All right. So we're all going to vote for Dave Juskow as commissioner of baseball. They, well, you should. I'd be better than that asshole who, uh, you know, did nothing during the steroid era. Bud Selig, what a douchebag. Thank you. Well, I'll <laughs> say one thing. Uh, I know you say this is the time was a good song to choose for the Mets documentary, but I think that running on ice would have been much more appropriate for the Coke fueled madness. That was that team. Uh, yeah, I guess. You, well, you could have used any song off this album in the set and modern woman would have been perfect. I'm joking, but Temptation. Uh, <laughs> baby grand. No, it's just, I mean, this just came out in 86 and it just made a lot of sense. Like, you know, I mean, I, they probably were going down the list of albums that came out and songs that came out in 86. I'm actually surprised they did find this one and pick it, but, but um, also because Billy Joel is associated with the Mets in many ways. Well, he did last play at Shea and he played right. this. So that also made a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so they right. probably wanted Billy Joel. He's on a short list of artists that would fit for this documentary. Absolutely. He uh, screams New York. And especially Long Island. And a lot of Mets fans are Long Islanders. You got that right. Go Mets. Oh, the butcher and the baker and the people on the streets. Where do they go? To meet the Mets. Alon, do you have a trivia question for me? Yes, I do. So this song was also used as the theme song for the Italian version of the soap opera Guiding Light, if you can believe that, for like 20 years. So my question is about the American, the original The Guiding Light. In the original version of The Guiding Light, what actor at the age of 11 played the role of Michael Bauer in 1954? This actor later went on to have a memorable appearance in one of Dave Jeskow's favorite movies, Annie Hall. Christopher Walken. That's correct. Ooh, what's up, yo? <laughs> I, I'll, wait, I'm trying to do it. I appreciate the start they gave me in Guiding Light. Couldn't help myself but to realize I was destined for, for better. You know what? You should do Christopher Walken with a high-pitched voice because he's an 11-year-old in the Guiding Light. Yeah. You know, I was... <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I was, Sometimes, sometimes at night when I'm driving, I can anticipate the car swerving, the glass shattering, the flames rising. That's from Annie Hall. <laughs> um, you know, his mother was a casting agent. That's how he got all. No, that no, stuff. his wife, his wife. Oh, his wife. Oh, well, then damn it. So he got it on his own. I'm jealous. Yeah, his wife is a casting agent. Georgina um, Walken, right? Yeah, they've been married since 1969. It's a long Hollywood uh, marriage. His mom just died in 2010. She was 103 years old. Yeah, I got to meet him once. My friend Lawrence, we're, we were doing a, a live version of The Odd Couple. My friend Kevin Cash and I and my friend Lawrence was directing. We were doing it uh, at an off-Broadway theater on 42nd Street, which is called Theater Row. And he was doing a play next door. So while we were all rehearsing, we would all be standing outside and he would come. We'd I didn't smoke cigarettes, but they'd smoke cigarettes outside. And he'd come by and we would talk to him all the time. He was doing, I think, a, maybe it was called The Dead. I don't remember. But it was so exciting. You know, he'd be, it's, we always used to imitate like, Lawrence, I'd love to come and see the odd couple. Unfortunately, I'm doing a play next door. <laughs> like, it, was, <laughs> it was really, what a cool, what a cool, cool guy. Yeah. You know, Alon, again, we're taping this in um, November of 2022. I believe today, the day we're taping, the Weird Al documentary comes out today. 
uh, which I think I'm going to watch with Daniel Radcliffe. It makes no sense whatsoever, the casting choice, but I guess that's what Weird Al does. And so we turn to Weird Alon and see how the hell he is going to parody a song like this. Okay, so what I'm doing with this one, um, it's a little bit meta. This song is called This Is The Rhyme. This is the first line of my latest song. Here is the second. It fits right along. Writing these lyrics is like a game. Just end every line with words that sound the same. Bump, bump. This is the rhyme that I'm doing. Something, something, Patrick Ewing. These are the words I put together Till I think of something better This is the rhyme The rhyme ain't gonna change Or maybe I will change it some If Liberty says it's dumb Hey now! Hey, that was great! (laughs) I love the Patrick (laughs) Ewing reference. That made so much sense. Something, something. That's funny. Oh, I like that. That was a great one. (laughs) <laughs> well done. Weird Alon. Well, folks, that was This Is The Time. If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you never miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A to Z and give us some feedback. Do you know why Dave Brown left the band? Because we didn't do our research. Do you think John Mayer is super cool? Did you know this song was about the winter? Do you believe this song is really about Elle McPherson? That's frustrating. Why? I don't know. It should be about Christy. And finally, can you do a good Christopher Walken impression? I try. Sometimes. Of course, my 11-year-old Christopher Walken is much better. Until next time, <laughs> I'm Alon Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. It's an 11-year-old Chris Walken. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Billy Joel A to Z. My son bought me a Cadillac today. I think that calls for a toast. This is the time to remember, cause it will not last.